In today's episode, we are interviewing Nicole Krenzel. She is a wonderful woman that does so many things. So whether you want to learn more about being a creative, like doing a degree and then actually getting a job in the real world, whether you're a black woman that wants to hear about more about Black Girl Fest and her other projects that she's working on, or if you're someone who just genuinely feels like you need some inspiration to be creative and really, I suppose, bring your true self, then this is definitely going to be a great episode for you. So tune in. Welcome to Free and Figuring It Out, a weekly podcast hosted by two Brits, Sherelle Griffith and Verity Brown, on a mission to support, empower and reassure fellow independent millennial women that they can be self-sufficient, successful and seen. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Free and Figuring It Out. Today we are delighted to be joined with Nicole Krenzel. She is a London-based Ghanaian-born cultural creator, creative consultant and entrepreneur. In 2018, Forbes listed Nicole as one of the 100 women to follow on Twitter and LinkedIn. In the same year, Time Out named Nicole as one of 50 Londoners shaping the city's cultural landscape. Nicole is CEO of Black Girl Fest, a creative community and arts festival for black women, girls and non-binary people. She's also the founder of Big Sis, a platform dedicated to supporting the personal development of creative working women. Nicole is passionate about connecting women, young people and unrepresented groups to arts, culture and events. And we are so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us, Nicole. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, it, you got, well, that's very impressive CV. I'd just like to say that. <laughs> um, and it's really great to get you on here because there's so many areas that I think both Verity and I are like super interested in. And so one of the things we just wanted to start is you clearly have a big passionate uh, passion around helping creative working women and it seems like the creative industries is definitely like a big thread both Beverly and I come from background the creative so we just want to talk a bit about I suppose your background in the creative industries how you got into it what your experiences were and why you've now decided you really want to help others in that world yeah sure um I guess the first time I was really introduced to anything creative was in secondary school um, I guess we had, I think every school had like a food tech lesson, a textiles lesson. And I think back in the day it was resistant materials. And I realized very early on that I was really good at resistant materials. I just love making things. I love being in the kind of workshop room. Um, my textiles teacher was like this very strict Jamaican woman. So she was just like, if you get like a stitch out of place, like it's over. And my mum's a seamstress as well. So like, I didn't really tend to like run towards textiles and like fashion as people assume that I did um but I just really loved actually making things I was quite a crafty kid and I think I was straight away just loved being in the workshop and I love the fact that there weren't a lot of girls in there as well um and it meant that I got to kind of run riot and do what I wanted and make lots of stuff and go crazy with MDF um so I guess that was the first time I was really introduced to being a creative or the concept of being creative um, and from then I actually went to go study what was now called product design at A-level. Um, and then from there, I went to go and study product design at university. And I remember I had a really great um, Greek Cypriot um, materials teacher who became my A-levels teacher, who kind of just said to me, and I remember just thinking like, why is he telling me this? This is like so random. I'm just trying to get out of secondary school. And I remember tell he telling me that, um, I'm going to be the only girl and probably black girl throughout the rest of my career in this industry. Mm-hmm. And I remember just telling him that I was going to apply for product design at university and I was really excited about it. And he was telling me kind of like all the things I needed to do to kind of make it into university and to kind of, kind of just the insights on what the industry would look like. But the one thing that I always remember holding on to was when he said that I'm not really going to see anyone that looks like me, but not to, not to worry because he believes I'm really talented and I should definitely go for it. And again, I was just this kind of young 18 year old who was just like eager to go to university and wasn't really thinking about what was going to happen at the end of it, but more so just like, I just want to go to university and I want to have a good time. Um, And actually (laughs) looking back, his comment was actually very truthful. I was the only black girl on my course for four years um and probably out of the whole course probably two black people one of two black people 
Um, and even just thinking about the kind of subjects that we learned about and the creatives and all the designers and industrial designers that we learned about, they were all non-Black, they were all um, kind of European. And I guess everything that was centered around the, my education, my kind of higher education was just not representative of the industry. And actually maybe it was representative of the industry because the industry was predominantly white men and we were learning about white men. So they, they were kind of being truthful to what we were gonna study and find out real in real time. But I remember just feeling like this, something that I was so passionate about that I've been kind of following through since GCSEs level, since I was 16, just out of nowhere, just hit the realize, like just be realizing that this wasn't made for me, this isn't for me. Um, and suddenly feeling like really excluded, suddenly feeling like something that I'm so passionate about that I love and I think I'm really good at actually doesn't include me in any way. And I felt like to a point that I'd wasted four years of my degree trying to get into an industry and coming out of it and feeling like the industry didn't want me back, um, which is quite like quite deeply emotional, definitely for anyone who's gone to university. I feel like university is like the ultimate test of your mental health, but I came out of it just feeling like, kind of just like deflated and you know spending all those hours in the library trying to do a dissertation and feeling very much like you know whatever happens next it's got to be worth it so kind of feeling the opposite of that is kind of also just like hit with this huge realization that I am not going to experience the industry the same way my kind of um counterparts are and I'm not going to have the same trajectory and it's not going to be as easy for me and I have to kind of accept that and figure out my own way of making it work. Yeah, I think your um, teacher was, it's like a, it's a double-edged sword. It's like that triumph yeah. realization to say, it's good that someone said it to you before you like went into that environment. Um, I've actually recently just read it, finished reading Taking Up Space. Oh yeah. Like a collection of like so many women's stories about being black, British and going to university and how the education system is just, yeah, it's not reflective of the country we live in and mm. you can feel so excluded from it. But it, some people don't literally realise that until the day they go to uni. And yeah. actually, because and it's, the book talks particularly about people, black women and men that come from London. And so therefore, and then they go to a, somewhere outside and you're like, what on earth have I done? <laughs> Which was me. I went to Chichester and I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, this is very different. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I can totally resonate with this idea of you then get into an environment and, you, and it feels as if yeah you are not it's not made for you but if it's something that you feel called to do and it's something that you love it's actually how can you manage to navigate your passion against something that might not necessarily say like seem to have open arms for you let's say like that yeah definitely and I think it's probably why my trajectory just wasn't so linear it was kind of like all over the place and I was just trying different things I remember I left my four-year degree um and I just wanted to do everything else in the design industry with that wasn't around being a product designer because I just mm -hmm. felt that the the, the, the kind of uh, route for many designers was that you work in a studio, then you open your own studio. It felt like it was just two things and then that's it for the rest of your life. You know, and same with like architects. You build your career and you become an architect, you open your own architecture practice and then that's it. And I just really wanted to explore so many different avenues that I felt like what I'd been taught at university just wasn't showing me. Um, and I remember just even um, leaving my degree and towards my final year, we had to do like a presentation of our final designs. And throughout the year, I realized that I was actually really good at doing presentations. Like even when I had a really rubbish design, I would always get the same grade as someone who like had a really beautiful finished product because I was, I essentially could pitch it really well. Mm. Um, and I remember coming out of my degree and, and actually Googling presentation designer because I didn't know whether or not that was a real thing. Oh, yeah, but that's a thing. I'll pay you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I remember applying for a job at Selfridges as a presentation designer. And I was like, what would you kind of do? But all I knew was that I had this one thing that I was really good at. It had nothing to do with my degree, just a skill that I thought, let me flex this. And then thinking, OK, someone, this is a job. This is someone's job, right? And not really having a fog clue about like what kind of jobs there are in the industry that weren't just the ones that I had my lenses on from my degree um and I guess from that kind of taking that initiative and just kind of do a little search and find out what other kind of jobs existed 
I then became to understand that a lot of people are in the jobs that aren't necessarily the same route as their education. Yes. A lot of people are working in um, advertising or in journalism without the degrees to match, you know, and I think with university, it was very much like you get this degree, you walk into this job, job done. Um, and I actually realized very early on that creative industry isn't like that. A lot of people are have multiple backgrounds and are doing multiple things. And sometimes people just build really good experience to get into the jobs that they've gotten got themselves into. Um, and that's kind of how I found myself when I landed my first job, which was actually working e-commerce for a design and architecture publication. Um, which I thought it was quite funny because my only other experience working in e-commerce was working in retail where I was working in a shop throughout university. And I guess e-commerce was my first introduction to like a digital shop and marketing that digital shop. Um, so again, absolutely nothing to do with my degree. It wasn't even a syllabus. It wasn't even like a thing <laughs> that we learn about e-commerce, you know, but when it came to product design and thinking about how your product is marketed, thinking about how your product is sold, it did kind of really fit to kind of walk into an e-commerce world for for design publication um so that was my first kind of route into the industry and and my the way that i've kind of built my experience cool um one as you said like you managed it sounds like did you go from university and you managed to get a job pretty quickly was that transition to the studio to the um, e-commerce platform was that quite quick that was, I think so. I would say it was quite quick. I graduated okay. like in like the July, August, and then I started my new job in September, October of the same okay. year. Okay, yeah. So you okay? So you, I'll class you with one of the like more the anomalies nowadays. Is that for a lot of people in creative industries, that sort of transition from graduating into work is not as smooth. Yeah. Um, and we have actually we've had someone on before who was like a career coach, and we talk about this this sort of journey of you leaving uni and you having skills and what you have on paper probably doesn't match what you end up going into. And like personally for me, I had a dance degree. That's what my undergrad was in. Um, but very much knew once I left, I didn't want to do dance. Um, I wanted to get into the management side of it. But a big hurdle was having to intern mm. and having to build this experience and this portfolio. And this is something that lots of people in the creative industry struggle with is yeah now it's like you have to work or you have to build it and you have to like make examples and this all costs money and people are like well depending on your socioeconomic background that's not always an option for people yeah. and um especially like right now i feel it's very prominent that i feel we're going to see this rise again of i've seen already so many like crazy jobs are advertised and they're like voluntary and i'm like you Ooh. want someone to run like so much and you don't want to give them any money like oh it drives me mad but obviously but it's something the creative industries gets told off for a lot so yeah. I just want to talk a little bit about like obviously you know that sort of you might not have experienced it but I suppose maybe you know other people that have and what your advice is to other people when it comes to maybe you don't feel financially like you can be trying to build a portfolio or work three months for free for someone and how do you get around that and like how do you get into an industry that can seem like it's only made for the elite rich yeah I mean my my degree was four years because it was a sandwich course and in our third year we basically had to we were just kind of let out and said go find you know go find a job go find an mm. internship and we had to do a certain amount of hours to get a certificate to progress to the fourth year um so I guess that was my first uh that was my year of interning I guess that's something yeah. we come out of university but my course allowed us to do that within the four years um and that was a struggle. That was a hustle and a half. I think that built my experience to know how to hustle the industry so that when I came back, finished my degree, I knew exactly how to kind of go about it um, for applying for jobs. But that was a hustle because, um, and this is, I guess, where I felt there was a level of discrimination that was happening. Um, because when we were kind of told about kind of the employment part of finding an internship at university, naturally were helping us and we're finding different placements for students in the course um some students were getting placements straight away some people were going to work for coca-cola cadbury wow. really really big organizations mm. who were have these partnerships with different different universities and essentially just have like an open door for students to come and walk in um, and the way that we were kind of taught to kind of have our cv and portfolio was a very simple template everyone kind of had to create this template for their work um, and at the top right hand side 
they had a square and that was for your profile picture to be uploaded, kind of like LinkedIn and have your name, full name and your date of birth address and your picture. And I remember sending out probably just shy under 200 applications, CVs and portfolios to some of the best design studios, agencies, corporations, all based in London because my university was in Nottingham and I wanted to come back home for the year. Yeah, <laughs> I'm from Nottingham and very Twinter Union in a... Oh, I went to Nottingham Trent, yeah. Oh, yeah. In the Bunnington building, yeah? Yeah. Well, <laughs> Were you I in... Was, yeah. I was in Woodley. I was in Woodley. Oh, um, well, oh, God, I'm Woodley. I wish I was in Bunnington. That's where all that cool people, art people were. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I do fashion marketing, so I was, oh, I was in cool. the, yeah. That's so yeah. strange. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Are you from Nottingham, Yeah, I know. Very not. I'm not. No, Sherelle is. Yeah. 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 Ah, miss you around. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah. So I was. I. So obviously, Trent was really good at like getting mm. students connected to lots of different placements and stuff. Um, and I just felt like mine. I don't know if it was something wrong with my CV. My 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 work was really good. Like I felt like I was kind of following the same template as everybody else, but I wasn't necessarily getting picked up. Um, I just thought it was really strange. And I remember it was my mum that said, why don't you try removing your picture from your portfolio to see if it makes a difference? Interestingly, I started getting responses to my application. Some of them mostly were actually rejections, but they were actually responses rather than like nothing at all. And I think that was the first time I was really kind of like hit with the fact that the industry may potentially be um, a bit more biased than I'd imagined. And I would have to kind of navigate this very differently. And I think some of the comments that my, my kind of uh, secondary school teacher was saying to me were kind of flashing right back. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. But it meant that um, I didn't get the normal placement like everyone else. I instead did a whole bunch of internships whilst living at home and basically cold called so many agencies that I thought were really cool and just said, hey, are you looking for an intern? Hey, are you looking for an intern? Because by the time that I had to kind of, kind of draw up all my hours, I was also without an internship. I hadn't worked anywhere mm-hmm. by that time. Whereas all my other kind of um, uh, fellow students had already spent like six months at Cadbury. So I was really panicking because I was like, am I going to get to fourth year? What's going to happen? So I cold called so many different um, creative studios and just said, listen, I'll do a week here, two weeks here. I'm just, I just need to get these hours in. Um, and yes, I was living at home, so I was able to, um, I guess, not have to pay rent and stuff because I'm from London. Um, but I wasn't making any money, you know, I was making a lot of teas, but wasn't making any money. So, <laughs> what was kind of covered for transport was literally all I had for transport because, as you know, being a student in the middle of your degree, you have you literally have no money. So, um, that was really hard. And I guess the concept of being paid and paid well didn't really necessarily matter to me so much because I didn't really know what an intern should be paid you know I wasn't really told this is what internship should be paid and this is how much it should cover because I was only doing this thing so I can make it to fourth year and um, looking back I definitely um, misunderstood I guess the value of internships in terms of um, how they can really profile and build your career I've seen lots of people go from internships into kind of full-time jobs um, which I think um, is a really exciting opportunity. Um, and actually some people didn't come back to, for the fourth year because they were offered jobs at the end of their internships. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, but I realized that for me, it might be a very different story. And I, I really wanted to try and do my own thing and figuring out a, a different route. Um, so I, I do think like for a lot of people who are, for example, doing internships in London and might not be from London, um, I say London, but obviously it's a really expensive city. Super expensive. <laughs> yeah. um, I can imagine that there, there is a huge barrier for a lot of people who, for example, don't have a parent who has like a house or a flat in the city that they can just live in or who can cover the cost of like travel and food whilst they work for free. I think that's where you can see there's a major disparity between um, the kind of uh, roles and people that get filled in these internship roles. Um, 
and time and time again, we, we can see how, um, like you said, there is this social economic um, disparity between these kinds of roles. But I do think that internships are a great way for you to build experience, definitely if you do them young. Um, or if you don't go to university, if you come through an apprenticeship scheme or an internship scheme, it's a great way for you to kind of get, I guess, what the four years I got at university sandwiched into a contracted year. Um, but I'm hoping that as the industry has more conversations on inclusion and equity, that internships and um, a more regulated scheme and system for internships is just more kind of commonly known and it's just kind of something that we just all know to do that we pay interns London living and then some as opposed to nothing at all with the assumption they can afford to just work for free um which a lot of inner city London kids can't you know even if you are based in London and not moving in still working for free it's so expensive to travel in and out so it doesn't no one really wins yeah Uh, so I think the industry, like you said, is it gets poked a lot for how bad it is um, at responding to those kinds of issues. But I think it's also there's been a lot of change from years prior where, you know, free internships was just so normal um, or not being paid for your time or not being paid for your contribution was just so normalized. Um, so it's a slow change, but there is some change. I'm glad to hear it, Shane, because, yeah, I did mine, like, I think it was 2010, probably when I did all my internships. And I basically moved to London, was studying my master's, and was doing, so I ended up doing one internship as part of my master's. And basically the reason why I could pay for my rent was because I took out a 10 grand loan to do the master's and pay for my rent living in London for that year. And so I was paying that off for the next three years based on the fact that I thought I would graduate from my master's and be able to get a job. And Mm -hmm. then I couldn't. And then I was like, right, I've got to start paying back. It's £369 per month. And, but I interned and then I even went for interviews at the places I'd interned and like for assistant roles and three times didn't get any. But they basically said, but we've taken on six interns this year. So it's not even like, it wasn't even the days where you do an internship and because you've been there for a year, you were quite likely to get an assistant role. Because mm. they'd have someone every three months the next time an assistant role came up, it would be four of you that all had the exact same experience of all being in the building and all doing that role, having to fight against each other. So I'm really, I really hope it has changed because I think it definitely is a barrier. And I know I was like, I was willing to take the risk, but that's not also the place that everyone's in to be able mm. to do that sort of thing. So it's one, a thing that does often play in my mind. Yeah. Um, Verity, having come from like fashion, like the fashion-y side, was it, do you think it's the same in that industry of like creative industries? It's still lots of people work for free and you've got to try and build that portfolio or like, is it hard to crack Yeah. It? Yeah. I mean, I, so I'm from Blackpool originally. So kind of, you know, um, you know, I'm, I'm white, but from Blackpool um, and from, you know, kind of a poor background going a bit, had an experience a bit like you in the sense that, I wanted to do fashion marketing and I didn't really think beyond whether that was where I fit. Um, and I got to my degree and I looked around and everyone was rich, like everyone. And I was just like, Oh, and then it became apparent throughout the degree that you needed money. Like there were trips to Japan, New York, everything. Um, again, internships. I had a cousin who lived in London. So I did two weeks at Dorothy Perkins sleeping in her front room, but that's all I could like manage to do. Cause as you say, I couldn't afford like the tube ticket and stuff. And, you know, I, it was, it was very much like, I, you know, I didn't feel like I belonged coming from, a poorer background never mind being a black woman so I you know it, it was it and and again it, it was very white female dominated on my course and yeah it just made you just made it think this is such a struggle and like I'm not really wanted in this industry and I would I lived in Nottingham for a few years after my degree and mm. I would get the train to London every few months for an interview. I was at Topshop, like Barry M, um, loads of different companies and I never got anywhere. They weren't interested because I didn't live in London. And mm. yeah, it was, it was, it was tough. And in the end I just walked away from fashion because I just thought I can't afford to 
to do this anymore. It's yeah, yeah, it was just too much strain. Yeah. So what year did you graduate? 2008. Oh, okay. Because even even when I graduated in 2014, fashion, marketing, communications, like all the girls were rich. Like they would walk to school. All of them. They would walk <laughs> yeah. to uni in like high fashion gear and I'd just be like in my overalls and my like work boots, like this isn't <laughs> like what is happening in Bonington? Because clearly <laughs> everyone's looking good constantly. Like it's just so hard. I can imagine like those kind of internships where you get to work abroad and stuff like you, you have to have money like you have to have way more money than it said in the syllabus on the course guide <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah yeah and even just uh, down to my dissertation so I got a 2-1 and I actually bumped into my tutor in a pub a few years after and he said if you'd have just spent a bit more money on your final products you would have gotten a first and that for oh. me said everything I was like right yeah so so oh. I think you know what you're doing and and the kind of the areas that you're working in is is so needed because mm-hmm. I think there's still so many challenges within the creative industry especially with covid now that the creative industries seem like the ones that are struggling the most and are getting the least support from the government in terms of you know like theater and you know the arts and things that are so vital to our culture and and like really making us like whole human beings um so can you go a bit into like what really like motivated you into creating you know projects like Unmasked Women and and Black Girl Fest and and just a little bit about how how they support um people within the creative industry yeah I think um with wanting to create my own I think I've always just been um the kind of person to go and make things happen if I don't see them happening already. Um, and I remember just navigating my personal kind of professional career and doing all sorts of jobs from working in PR to working for a community management company to basically doing everything in the industry, but actually being a designer um, <laughs> and being so fearful that I would lose my creative outlet because I was doing it all these different jobs that wasn't, that weren't really allowing me to remain creative. And I remember sitting there thinking, I really want to create my own personal side project. At that time, side hustles were things that people were just creating for fun, right? So I wanted to create something that was that would allow me to remain creative whilst I was working in a PR job I really didn't like. And that would actually also be like supportive for other people in the creative industry who were also trying to figure it out like me. And I think that's how Unmasked Women was born because at that time, I think my mental health was really, really low. And I realized that there were so many other black women who also experienced kind of the anxiety and depression that I'd experienced. And I really wanted to talk more about it. And I found out at that time that there weren't a lot of conversations happening about mental health um, in 2016. It was just on the, a few, it's like a year after that, we started having more open discussions, more celebrities and um, more politicians were talking about mental health. But when I was doing my research, it was all focused on like in America. Um, and I thought as creatives, our mental health is just so important for us to be able to create and for us to be able to kind of continue to work in the environments that we work in. Um, mental health was just something that I just found was just so, so important. And so when I created a Masked Women exhibition, I was just really eager to bring all these incredible black women artists into a space um, to have this conversation about mental health and to talk about how our experiences as black women had led us or had some connection to our well-being. Um, so that was really exciting. It was a very personal project for me because it was a, a, a vessel for me to talk about my own experiences, but it became such a kind of community social project because it involved so many different people, so many different partners, and so many people took onto it because they were just like, wow, this is just so needed. This is so important. And um, we're hoping that, and I think it did spark a much needed conversation about mental health within the black community. Um, and I guess with just the desire to, I guess that being my first attempt at creating spaces for a community, I just knew exactly how to continue to do that. I just was able to kind of plug into the kind of conversations that were coming out of my community to understand how to continue to create more spaces. Um, so that's something I always say, in, like you read in my bio, that I'm just really passionate about creating spaces and connecting um, conversations and kind of cultural um, discussions 
Um, and I guess that's kind of how Black Girl Festival also kind of came to the fore because it just made sense to have a space for Black women and girls to see themselves reflected in programming and in workshops and talks um, and to for them to be having conversations about them. It just made so much sense as well. And, and when you think about some of the events that you've been to prior, you just never really think, oh, how come this has never centered me or centered my experiences? Um, so I guess for me, it's just always been um, a mixture of things. You know, I kind of fell into Unmasked Women and everything else after, but I was just so passionate about knowing how to help my community that it just made sense to continuously find ways to kind of grow that desire. Um, and I guess if you're just a nice, genuine person who wants to help people, I've always done so throughout my career, it just makes sense to kind of create the things that I've created. No, it's great. And like Black Girl Fest, I definitely can really resonate this idea of having a space where you can have like converse, have conversations and see other people that look like you and hmm. have a safe space to have those sort of conversations, basically. But one of the things I think that was interesting is obviously you say it's about like amplifying the voice experience of Black, British women and girls. And hmm. just given obviously the rise of conversations that's happening in the moment about Black Lives Matter, I think it's still really interesting about the black British experience and something actually was part of what I did when I was at uni, my dissertation was actually more around lots of what we read and obviously like the main commentary that happens is from America and actually that black British experience is different and I just wanted to, I suppose, what you actually running events that are for black women and girls, how do you feel about making sure that that experience of being in Britain is not just absorbed into like the American dominance and actually we have our own space to have our own conversations. Yeah, I mean, from the kind of speakers and facilitators that we invite, it's, it's they're British, you know, yeah. they talk about their experiences, they talk about the history, they talk about um, the work that they create and the projects that they inspire and how um, they also focus on um, the lens of being a black woman in, in the UK. Um, and I think one thing that I'm really passionate about is this really inviting more voices across the UK. So it's not so London centric because yes. having, <laughs> not, <laughs> having been in them for um, four years, I know just how rich the history is and how different the communities mm. um, in Nottingham are compared to London and so forth in Birmingham and so forth in Coventry and, and really inviting um, more of those voices from across the UK to kind of, feel welcomed to be a part of the discussions and conversations that we see in our programming. Um, but I think, you know, I agree. I think, you know, so much of um, even just the history that we learn in school is centered around black American history. Um, I know so much about Martin Luther King and um, so many um, uh, pioneers and activists and um, uh, stories from the history books about black American identities. Um, and I think so much more is needed in the UK to talk about um, our history and understand that not everyone came to the country from the Windrush. You know, there were so many other communities that existed before having conversations with slavery, having conversations about um, even prior to that and thinking about how the Black Amours and there's just such a rich Black history that is part of British history and you can't really separate the two mm. and if it's taught more in schools and more conversations are being had you start to kind of normalize this understanding of what black history is black British history is um, but we have some incredible books we have some incredible podcasts we have incredible writers and activists who are constantly championing um, the sharing of black history and I think that is probably hope hopefully um we'll see more of an emergence of it becoming staple that we have more open conversations about um british history and black history um mm -hmm. the black curriculum is actually a really good example they're doing such a great campaign to get black history actually put into school curriculums um yeah they're, they're doing some really great work there um but yeah i think it's one of those things that for me, I've always focused on my experiences being in Britain. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, I was born in Ghana. So I have a very different experience to many other people. And I've always been focused on what it has been like being raised and being kind of in the UK as opposed to 
understanding what's happening in the US and other places because you know they aren't the same they're completely different those experiences um no that's the thing everyone's always said like all of our experiences are different and like even to like have a category of black British like there's so many nuances within it like you said like so I actually have lived in London for the last 10 years I'm still just a massive London fan but I have lived there for 10 years and my experience living in London is completely different to my experience of the up to 18 of living in Nottingham so um there is so much there is differences within all of us but it's just good to have like those spaces um it, obviously you're someone who's done a lot <laughs> like you I think the fact that you are just like I'm gonna get up I'm gonna try this I'm gonna do this you're like really you clearly are an example of someone creative and just gonna follow like whatever passions drive you at the time and obviously your latest project is called Big Sis um and that really caught my eye because you talk about personal development for creatives again and um personal development is something I'm like obsessed with I created my own personal development company for women five years ago so I just want to talk a bit more because it seems a bit mysterious though I was trying to find more out online so I want to know a little bit more about I suppose what spurred you on to do Big Sis and like what's to come yeah definitely so Big Sis really came out of I guess my frustrations with the industry um but also all the learnings that I've also kind of um kind of taken on um throughout my career I've always just relied upon the networks and support of other creative women um, from having kind of candid coffee conversations with people to having like long voice notes or just kind of crying on the phone to someone that you really admire. I think I've always just found that there has been a bigger sis in the industry to me who I've kind of ran to who supported me and who, or who has really guided me through I guess the next stages of my career um, and I just found that's just being so rewarding. I feel like without necessarily calling it mentorship there has been a level of support that has happened there and it can actually be from someone who is literally my peer or someone who I really admire and I wanted to create a space or a platform that would essentially magnify those exact moments and create a space for, for learning and sharing for all women in the industry um reason why you can't find anything is because it hasn't launched yet it was meant okay. to launch a few <laughs> months ago but because of covid well um, and I'm kind of planning lots of really exciting stuff for Black Girl Festival, but we're hoping to launch really soon with a series of events um, and networking opportunities as well. Um, but it's kind of like a passion project of mine that I was just really kind of reeling off from kind of things that have happened in the past and just the things that I've learned, but also realizing that there are so many other amazing creative women who want to share, they want to learn, they want to they sh share kind of um, what they've learned about the industry and they also want to learn about what they can kind of take on for themselves so it's kind of like not falling under the standard mentoring scheme kind of platform it's kind of like an amalgamation of various different things but it's a platform for sharing and learning essentially okay well we'll put the links in the show notes and obviously keep your eye out for what happens in the future yeah, but it sounds like black girl fest has got something coming if you said you've got exciting things in the pipeline can you share any of that yeah i guess just planning kind of what we're going to do for the festival in 2021 um keeping an eye on like how the events industry is responding and has been affected by covid um i mean there were just so many crazy predictions about um how people were going to gather in spaces and you know when lockdown will be lifted and so much speculation over a lot of this. And I think, as we know, the events industry has been hit quite hard, um, specifically yeah. like live music events and festivals. Um, so kind of keeping my ears on the ground to kind of understand how um, the industry is going to respond and just kind of follow up on predictions about how people are gonna gather in spaces by next year, specifically because people just keep talking about second waves and the recession and blah, blah, blah. So it's kind of like, no we are going to have festivals we are going to have great events next year my dad i'm going to be so tired because i'm going to be going out every night and every weekend every event yeah <laughs> panel after panel workshop after workshop yeah i think people just seeing how like um people were responding to like um some of the covid restrictions being loosened and going to the pub and you know soho looking the state that it was people actually just mm -hmm. want to be back Cases. like human beings aren't designed to be in isolation for this long like if you just look at the way prison systems are where people are kind of put in self-isolation like they go mad like people don't want to be stuck at home they want to be together with other people <laughs> and um just following on from everything that's been going on with black lives matter and stuff and the, the call for 
more um, diverse spaces or for supporting black businesses, I think a space like Black Girl Festival will do really well, you know, next yeah. year. People are going to want to be with other black folk and they're going to want to engage with more black content and they're going to want to support more black businesses. So I kind of just gearing up to, to 2021, but also being very cautious about um, how things could just dramatically change, you know? Um, but yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm very much um, in a hope stage right now. So there's <laughs> ways, because I, ha- I think we have to, and I think you're right that like Black Girl Fest actually would probably, it's even more called for right now. Um, I think actually it's been, I've said to quite a few people, it's been quite hard to have this rise of the Black Lives Matter conversation at a time when then you can't go and be really around the Black community. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's a real weird thing because actually your natural reaction would be like, actually, I want to talk to the people about what's going on right now. And actually mm-hmm. to not have those, um, have that as an opportunity would make me think the soonest stuff happened, I would be running, as I said, even if I'm not meant to be. So, um, <laughs> but, um, and one of the things that I just noticed personally, that I just wanted to quickly talk to you about was Black Girl Fest in previous festivals when it's happened, you've had the Give Blood NHS there. And um, it's something that's really personal to me. I actually had a blood transfusion a few years ago. And once you've had a blood transfusion, you actually then can't give blood again. Um, and so it's just a w- really weird thing where there is, um, the people that are most likely to give can't give the people that know like the, the best benefits of it but actually it's something that's really important and it's really important increasingly for the um the black community in the uk so mm-hmm. it was really like great to see that you actually were like taking blood at the festival but i just wondered if you share a little bit about how that like happened um and just, and just like yeah i suppose your feelings about the community stepping up and giving blood yeah definitely um with give blood nhs um we were kind of introduced to melissa who is an incredible black woman who's kind of part of the marketing team and her role really was just focused on raising awareness and getting more black people to understand why it's important to give blood but also go and give blood so working with us the black girl festival just made so much sense because we had amassed such an incredible audience of black women and just I guess the black community from a wider perspective um and we really wanted to partner with them because we just also believe that blood donation is very, very important. And there is such a huge shortage. And it just felt, we just felt empowered to be like, okay, if we can do something, why not do it? Um, I've donated blood myself. I think it's really important for people to donate blood and more important for black people to donate blood. So it just made so much sense to try and find in the best, safest way, uh, a space for blood donation to actually happen. Um, and that was really exciting because in the second festival we worked with Give Blood, we, were, we weren't working with a venue that can kind of host that kind of capacity, but instead we were um, doing kind of know your type kits and letting people know their blood type, which was really great as well. Mm. Um, we were actually registering people on the day. I think we managed to register about 175 people. Wow. Um, and that was in the second year festival. And luckily, because we were able to kind of raise our capacity and work in a bigger space, we, were, we hosted last year's festival in the Business Design Center, which is based in Angel Islington. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a capacity of about 3,000 people. So that was really great. And we were able to kind of host Give Blood Again. And we had about five or six donation beds. Um, so that was really great because we were able to kind of let anyone who was attending donate blood. And that was a really great opportunity for people to understand a bit more about why it's important, but also um, to actually do it. And one of the biggest challenges in London for Give Blood is that they only have two donation centres and they aren't in predominantly black neighbourhoods. So a lot more has to go into getting black people to come to them. Mm. And so having a pop-up in Black Girl Festival was an opportunity for them to go to us. Um, so mm-hmm. it just made lots of sense and it just it just fit really well with um, what we're passionate about and our message and ethos as well. So it was a really great partnership and we really, really enjoyed working with them. I can't believe there's only two in the whole of London. That absolutely shocks me. Yeah, yeah. it's one near Oxford Circus as well. It's the one yeah, that's yeah. Another one in North such North. a random location. <laughs> yeah it's like right in the heart of like i think it's behind top something yeah um and it's not that big and obviously um in terms of capacity and stuff it's kind of hard for them to manage Mm. people do literally just walk off the street from work on their lunch Mm. break don't give blood and that's great and everything but also we don't have a lot of um the percentage of black donors um to non-black is very very different Mm -hmm. very vastly different 
um, because of a lot of stigma that's attached to donating blood and um, I guess just more awareness that needs to be needs to be raised to let black people understand why donating blood is important mm-hmm. and yeah. life save. Um, so I think yeah, that's that's another challenge that they found as well with having very limited uh, donation centres that aren't in predominantly black neighbourhoods, yeah. so people can easily access um, this information and um, this space. So. No, that's, yeah, I just think that's really shocking to me that a city, like a city that size would only have two, you'd definitely think there'd be more. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, when Sherelle mentioned, obviously, Black Lives Matter, um, and I know that as a white woman, like white people are, well, a lot of white people are now trying to educate themselves much more um, about black people and black history. But something um, that I, obviously this conversation has been really educational for me to listen to. And I, I really appreciate that to try and, you know, educate myself as a white woman, but having a partnership with Sherelle on this podcast for the last nearly two years has been a great education in terms of, how little representation of black women there are when it comes to the creative bits. So things like Canva, you know, we'd obviously try and make our Instagram stream um, 50-50 black women, white women, or, you know, we would try to bring in people of, of, you know, ethnic minorities. And I could find so many white women on Canva when I searched images and black women was just so much harder and gifts and things like that. Like it was just... A struggle to get that balance right and you know it's and then all of a sudden now after the death of George Floyd and, and the movement really rising Canva is now filled with images of black women which is great in a sense but it's just it, it blows my mind that that wasn't done before have you seen shifts similar to that in in other areas of of the creative industry and, and can you see that momentum happening or do you believe that I, f- I sometimes wonder if, you know, what happened kind of raised a, a spike in people and now people have gone back to normal lives. Um, it's just been really interesting trying to respect Sherelle being a black woman and make the creative side of free and figuring it out as balanced as possible has been a real challenge. And it's, it's been really interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I can, all I can do is hope that the industry, like, keeps with the same energy. But as someone who's kind of navigated the diversity and inclusion space for a while, um, all of this stuff isn't new, you know, all of this stuff is some mm-hmm. stuff that we've been banging on about for pan- on panels for, like, ages now. And it's only through the back end of um, what's happening in America and what's happening in the UK and Black Lives Matter are is the industry really paying attention? Um, whether or not they will continue to kind of back what they say, who knows? Um, because a lot of people who've been working in the space for a while have been banging on about a lot of this, the changes that we've been trying to see for a while now. And a lot of it is kind of thrown with percentages and reports and you know diversity of thought and a lot of other ways of which the industry has always kind of pushed back. Um, but yeah, this has rocked a lot of businesses and brands to the core, which is great. Mm. And it's rocked a lot of individuals as well. Um, but time will tell if the changes that we have been singing for a while will be heard um, or whether or not they were just this one momentally, like moment that people were just responding to because they felt like they had to. All right, we have got to the end. But before we let you go, we would love to ask you our like hot round questions that we ask everyone. So I'm gonna kick off first with what is your definition of free? Ooh, my definition of free, I guess, is the ability to be anywhere and everywhere at all times. Mm, like that. Time travel, let's do it. (laughs) Freedom. (laughs) Um, What is your favorite thing to do on your own? Ooh, my favorite thing to do on my own is to watch a lot of TV series. I've watched a lot of, rewatched a lot of old school um, TV shows whilst being in lockdown. So I love mm. doing that myself. <laughs> Do you have a top recommendation? Um, 
I just finished rewatching Ugly Betty and New Girl <sighs> and Smallville. Oh wow, you've been going. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, just Housewives and yeah, I I like watching TV shows where there wasn't like there wasn't in the internet or like social media beforehand, so it was just Mm. really interesting to see how people like moved around. I just loved watching those shows when I was younger, so um, yeah, it felt really good to kind of just catch up. Ugly Betty is also such a good TV show; like it was way ahead of its time. Um, And if you love fashion and stuff, that'll be a good show to watch. Yeah, I did love it. I used to love it as well. Um, what is your best piece of advice you could give to millennial women? Um, best piece of advice I can give to millennial women will probably be to live without fear and believe in yourself. Great advice. Strong. Yeah, love that. <laughs> um, and which resource, so it can be a book, a documentary, podcast, anything, are you always recommended to other people? Um, I would always recommend Slaying Your Lane, which is an incredible book um, by Elizabeth and Yomi, and it's speaking more about Black women's experiences in the workplace and in their careers. And it's just a staple book. It's a Bible, so it's got so many incredible antidotes and interviews. And um, yeah, it just really cemented a lot of my feelings from working in the industry, and it will help you too. Cool. And finally, what are you still trying to figure out? I am still trying to figure out so much. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the work-life balance. Anyone figure that one out yet? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Um, no. Impossible. I'm, probably, I'm also trying to figure out the whole live-to-work, work-to-live lifestyle. Okay. Uh, I guess this time being in lockdown and just being forced to slow down and not to be so go-go-go with a lot of things, it's made me really reshape the way I think about um, live-to-work, work-to-live. Um, and I really want to get better at... Um, not necessarily living for the work that I'm in and the career that I'm in, but actually just living life, really. Um, that'd be the ultimate goal and something that I'm always trying to strive towards and figure out myself. But that and like work-life balance is something that is still a puzzle to me. But yeah, figuring it out. That mm. sounds good. I feel like if you get there, let us know. <laughs> I will, yeah. yeah. That's it. Figure it out. <laughs> And before we disappear, obviously, there's so many things that you're doing. There's so many different things that people want to check out. So where is the best place people go to find you and find out about all the hundreds of things it seems that you do? <laughs> <laughs> you can probably find me on Instagram. So it's just ncrystal underscore on Instagram. Um, and probably nasting away about some TV show that I watched on Twitter, which same handle, <laughs> ncrystal. Um, and you can find kind of all the projects and kind of businesses that I run as well there black girl fest on instagram and twitter and big sis.co on instagram as well so um yeah stay tuned and uh stay connected thank you so much for listening to this episode of free and figuring it out don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss the next installment and if you want to be a superstar please leave us a review or you can get in touch with us drop us an email at free and figuring it out at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you until next time